Welcome to Contrast. Richard Bennett, converted Catholic priest, now evangelist, presents Contrast. Your comments and questions will be greatly appreciated. Permission is given to record and copy the entire message. And now, here is Richard Bennett. It is a great joy to be with you again, and I'm really encouraged today to have uh, two guests on the program uh, from New York who actually knew each other as young Catholic boys and now know each other in the Lord as they are true biblical Christians. Uh, let me introduce to you first of all here on my right, Brian McLaughlin. Good to have you, Brian. Thank you. Good to be here. And Rich Wozniak. Good to have you. I would like to deal with uh, these two men as uh, authentic uh, um, representatives of Catholicism in New York. Uh, I came, as you know probably, from Ireland and I was a priest for 22 years, uh, Dominican for 30 years and 48 years altogether as a Catholic and my heart's desire is to get the good news to Catholics. And I know that this is something similar that Brian has and that Rich has. So I'd like to begin with you, Brian. Can you give some account of what it was like growing up as a young Catholic boy and how it was that you saw the emptiness or whatever and how you came to know the Lord? Sure. Um, well, uh, being raised in a, in a Catholic home um, for me was, I mean, it was uh, it was wonderful because I have wonderful parents. So uh, so growing up uh, uh, as a Catholic was basically something that um, took place on Sunday uh, for an hour. Uh, you basically went to church. Uh, you did that with your family, and um, and that was the extent of it. I mean, I, I have um, again great parents. I mean, these you know moral parents, wonderful loving parents. Uh, so it, my upbringing and my years uh, being a Catholic uh, were uh, just, I guess, kind of, we'd say, academic as far as Catholicism was concerned. You went through the programs uh, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church laid out. Everyone else was doing it, so um, it was kind of uh, the thing to do. Uh, for the most part, all my friends were, were Catholic, so we... Um, uh, you know, we went through communion classes and um, confraternity uh, classes in the uh, sixth grade. It was so it was a lot of it was a lot of fun um, as far as being mean, meaningful, uh, spiritual in that sense. Um, not really, but uh, but as a young you know person growing up in the uh, 60s and 70s, um, that's the way. It was uh, so. I would say, and then getting older, I was a, a a nominal Catholic. I, you know, quote believed in God and kind of thought I was a good person and um, uh, went to church. Yeah, got older, didn't go to church as much. Got married, have children. They get to a certain age, you start bringing you start bringing them to you know to church and kind of going through the same things. So um, that's kind of you know my. Um, Catholic, you know, experience. It wasn't any anything particularly um, good. It wasn't anything particularly bad. It was just kind of something that you did because that's what you knew. Yeah, but when when did the Lord break through? <laughs> well, when I got older, uh, in, in my thirties, uh, is when the Lord started working on my heart, and and that's when He began to draw me to Himself. Uh, and, it, and it was at a point in time uh, in my life where um, the Lord used circumstances to bring me to him and then to bring me to a point where I knew that I had to, to totally trust in the Lord. And that's the point when the Lord convicted me of my sin. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that I wasn't, quote-unquote, a good person and that I was going to be okay in my own self-righteousness, uh, that I wasn't going to be with the Lord, I wasn't going to a place called purgatory. The Lord convicted me that I was going to be eternally separated from Him, and He convicted me of my sin, and I knew the only way to make that right was by repenting of my sin 
in trusting in Jesus Christ. Was it in reading the Word? Were you reading the Bible, or how how did the Holy Spirit actually penetrate into your life? You know, no, I really wasn't reading the Word. I did read the Bible maybe about five years before that. It was basically on a challenge. Someone asked me what I was as far as what my belief system was, and I, of course, responded, I'm a Catholic. And they asked me a really tough question. They said, why? (laughs) And here I was at 31 years old, and I didn't have an answer. And the person said to me, he goes, well, you're 31 years old. Don't you think you ought to know why you're a Catholic, why you you claim to believe what you believe. Well, that did get me reading the Bible. But when I finished it, I kind of closed it. And I remember the one passage that I took out of the Scriptures was, you know, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. And I was like, I found the loophole. I'm going to be okay. I treat people okay. I'm nice. I give to charity. So I closed the Bible and that was it. I thought I was okay with God. God's not going to send me to hell. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm again, quote, unquote, a nice guy. So that was my, the extent of me reading the Bible. Um, and then it was at that point, five years later, when, you know, those I guess, seeds that were planted in reading God's word, uh, God took that. And five years later, God convicted me of my sin. And by his grace, um, he saved me. And um, it, it was, you know, it was, it was absolutely an incredible um, uh, moment in my life where I went from spiritual death, I went to spiritual life by God's grace. So it was now believing on a person and trusting the person of Christ Jesus, his perfect finished work, his perfect sacrifice. And in that way, uh, it was utterly different. It's, it's not defending the church why you're a Catholic this is I'm a sinner and now I trust in Christ and Christ alone so in that way it was utterly different yeah you know absolutely and at the time you don't you don't fully understand what God just did he doesn't make you an instant theologian and, and all of a sudden you know you know his word through and through he, he saves you as a, as, a, as a babe. He saves you as an infant. Uh, and he saves you, uh, you know, to himself. And at that point is when the blinders come off and you now have a heart for God. And I remember the, the immediacy of having to know this great God, this great Savior, that just saved me by his mercy and by his grace. And I knew it was absolutely nothing of myself. This was something that I couldn't have, uh, have done, couldn't have earned, couldn't have even figured out. This was something that, for whatever his reason and his sovereignty, that he bestowed his, his saving grace and mercy on me, the only thing I can do is just bow before him and, and, and thank him. I'm sure you had a great desire to read the Word. Now, now you are reading your Bible. Yeah, I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to know this God. I wanted to know this God that just saved me. And at the time, there was absolutely nothing in me that said, okay, I have now been saved by God's grace that uh, I'm not going to be a Roman Catholic anymore. That did not enter my mind. Uh, what entered my mind was I wanted to seek the truth and I wanted to know God. And he put it on my heart and mind that I was going to find him in the scriptures. And I always fully thought that I was going to find my Catholic faith, my Roman Catholic faith in the, in the scriptures. scriptures. And that's when the, the journey began of seeking God's truth and then having to decide where the truth was. Well, when did the moment come where you saw that you could not continue in the Catholic Church, that things were incompatible? When was that? It was about 10 months after coming to faith of going to, um, a, uh, going to Catholic Church every Sunday, I was going, I began about a month after coming to faith of uh, going to a non-denominational Christian church. So I was going to a church twice on Sunday <laughs> and, um, and then going to a Bible study actually at another church, at a more conservative, reformed Baptist church and actually comparing the theologies of Roman Catholicism, um, basically like free will evangelicalism 
and reformed theology. And I just kept praying to God uh, during this time, Lord, reveal your truth. I'm not looking to sign up with another church, to leave the Roman church, to go to a Baptist church or to go to a, you know, a Pentecostal or a, you know, a, a Lutheran church or whatever. That wasn't, my, um, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to seek the truth uh, through God's word and go wherever it, it led me. And that was what was on my heart, was to seek the truth because that's the only thing that matters. And constantly through the word, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Thy word is true. Yes, that, that, is, that is the ultimate. When you reach that stage that you know that God's word is truth, then you have a foundation. I know my own life as a priest of 1979, and I actually had come to Vancouver in Canada and across the border, and I was in Seattle, and I discovered the truth of God's word. And that text and the Lord's word, scripture cannot be broken, were priceless to me that I had reached the stage where I knew that there was an authority that could not be gainsaid and I think that that's great that you disclose that I'd like to come back to you in a little while but just let me go to Rich Wozniak Rich I know that you grew up as Catholic um, and I know that somehow you know there was a rededication later on in your life where you became really seriously Catholic so I'd like to you would explain this rededication in your life to God where you were uh, for, the mo- for the first time really really seriously Catholic well I can say that my life was similar to Brian's uh, we did grow up in the same community um, there was really not much of a difference as to how we held to our Catholic roots we were born Catholics we were raised Catholic and we were Catholic that was basically how easy as it was um, and uh, you know we did the same thing I remember early my mom used to take us to church every Sunday uh, I have two brothers and two sisters and uh, the six of us would sit there in the pew my father was usually absent uh, it wasn't something that he did normally um, and we would go through the uh, our church uh, time and then to catechism classes um, but like in our family also though we didn't really speak about it during the week there were other things to do so our religion was really on Sundays Um, got exciting around Easter time it was a time that I really really enjoyed because I got to sit down in front of the TV and watch King of Kings and and, uh, one of my favorite shows as a child and kind of play out the part uh, of some of the characters uh, as a child Um, and I knew as a child that I had just a love for what Christ did although I didn't have a great understanding of it um, as I do now and what it really meant but I knew there was a Jesus Christ I knew that there was a God how it was all put together as a child I really didn't know but I knew that it all came together on Sunday at church Um, I was ignorant toward many of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church we were never really sat down and taught uh, each teaching Um, I don't think there really you can do that because there are thousands and thousands of doctrines, catalogs and dogmas that nobody would ever be able to sit down and and understand but the basic things of Catholicism we knew and I think the most basic thing was that you had to go to church um, and you had to be a good person and uh, with that you had to go to confession which is something I really never did as a child Um, I would say that I did uh, but something in me always thought the fact that I believed that you had to confess to God. It wasn't something that was told to me, but deep down I just said to myself, why would I confess to another person when I could sit in my room and do that? And I knew the formula usually was uh, a few Hail Marys, Our Fathers, and uh, a couple other prayers. And as a child I figured, well, if I know the formula already, well, then that's great because I'll just do it myself. Um, so this is how I grew up. Uh, we didn't have a Bible in the house. I never really uh, looked at the Bible. There was never a Bible in our Catholic church um, anywhere to be found. Um, in catechism classes, we were never given scripture. We were never taught scripture. We were just taught the sacraments and the way of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, there wasn't much emphasis put on it. It was something that you did, basically. Uh, we had volunteer teachers, and, and that's, that's pretty much how... Uh, we went about every 
day um, as Catholics. And I'd like to skip over time um, because nothing really changed that much. As I got older, it got less, you know, um, more time with friends, less time with church. Nothing was really important as much. Uh, we grew up, my mom wasn't really um, taking us to church as much because now that we were out of catechism classes after we had taken uh, communion and confirmation and whatnot, we were pretty much on our own, so we weren't doing it as a family anymore. Um, and time went on. And uh, I guess I could say that I always had um, a closeness to the church, and I always did find myself going to the church. But it was always for the reason of being that I knew I had to make up for something. Um, you know, any bad things that I ever did in my life, and there were some things in my life that I, you know, questionable things that I knew were wrong in God's sight. Um, but, you know, I was taught that get to church on Sunday, you know, confess to God, do good things, and you can make up for it. And, you know, that's how you want to leave it. And I guess I used to have a problem with that because I never knew what would be the last thing that I would do. Because if I've done a bad thing and I get to church and then I'm, I'm okay, well, how long does that last? How long am I okay? How long after I take my communion? Um, and receive the Eucharist. Um, am I okay? How long does that last? How long does that formula last? Well, it must be only a week because we had to do it again the following week. And if I missed church, then, well, that was kind of bad because then I had two weeks where I needed to get that fixed, I guess, and make sure that I was okay again. Um, but what had happened if, if um, I had died and I didn't have that fixed? So there was always that question of how many times do I have to do this to get it right? And that always sat inside me as, as, as something that I just never could understand. Um, but I was never shown the way to find the answers. Um, take it to about uh, the year 2000. Um, uh, here I am, a 37-year-old man, married to a beautiful wife, um, who is now about to deliver our first daughter. And at the time, I had a successful career. Um, there was a lot of stress that went along with it, but something inside me, I, I started feeling a change. There was a lot of anxiety. Um, I knew my life was changing. I had promised myself that when I was a child, um, and I had been, I guess when I grew up and I decided to have my own family, that I wanted to be the best father that I possibly could, and I was questioning myself, what type of lifestyle do I have to live to do this? Um, and there was a lot of questions, a lot of anxiety. Um, so I left my job. I decided that I needed to do something a little bit less stressful so that I could be on this path to being a great father. And I started getting uh, more anxiety as days went on. Uh, left to myself, I decided that I needed to get closer to the church. And this is where... It all started. Yes, the dedication that I asked. Yes, I, I basically said, you know, God, if I'm going to become a good father, a good husband, then the only way that I believed to do that was to be a good Catholic. Well, how can I do that? Well, I started working a new job in New York City, and right when I would get off the subway, there was a church right there in the corner about a block away from where I worked. It was a perfect situation for me, so every morning at 7.30, I would be in the church, and I would go through a Mass, I would go to confession, and then I would go to the basement of the church where there was an abundance of statues of saints. And I had a ritual that I followed each and every day of kneeling before each and every one of those saints and saying a prayer. Um, some of them I didn't even know. I didn't know the history of them. But I was always taught that these saints are intercessors. They were going to get me what I needed. They were going to get me where I wanted to go. I felt great. I watched other people praying before them, kneeling before them, speaking to them, leaving novenas to them, and I did the same thing. And this lasted uh, for a couple of months, but there was just an uneasiness still. I, I was so empty as to where I was supposed to be, what was going to happen. And I used to pray every day, Lord, I just need you to show me the truth. Just reveal it to me. And little by little, things started happening. I found myself one day walking into a Christian bookstore. 
and I picked up a book on the shelf and I started reading it and uh, at this time again 37 years old now I never knew the differences between Catholicism or any other religion I just thought to be Catholic was the way I've never had a Protestant friend everybody I grew up with everybody I knew we were all Catholic so I started reading the books and they were all focused on Jesus Christ Jesus Christ and I'm thinking to myself you know I've never really focused on Jesus Christ. I, I never knew what that was. I focused on going to church. I focused on doing good things. I focused on saying uh, the Hail Marys, the Rosary, all of these things. For five years, I was a catechist in my 20s um, where I, I taught 10-year-olds the catechism, the sacraments, and I thought that that for sure was going to take away all the sins that I might have committed as a child or teenager, teenage years, older years. And um, even when I did that, though, when I sat before those children, I saw in front of me, not children that, that were going to learn the program that I was given. Um, it was purely uh, unbiblical. It was all geared toward Roman Catholicism in, in regards to the sacraments, in regards to the things that you needed to do as a Roman Catholic. Again, at the time, I didn't understand those differences. I do now. Um, I spent more time teaching these children how to be human beings growing up in the world that we are and how important it is to love each other. And I, I thank God that I did that at the time because um, I believe that they've got a lot out of that and I hope that they did. The teachers that were there, the priests that were there at the time, um, I loved them dearly and I still do. Um, but here I am back again at the age of 37, struggling and Finally, I, I, I picked up a Bible one day and I started reading it. And one of the first verses that I read was um, Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 46 to 49. And I could read that right here. Um, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I do? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built the house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that was without foundation, built in the house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And at that point I said to myself, God is speaking to me. My house needs a foundation. I'm about to have a child. I'm, I, I, I'm a husband and a father, and my house needs a foundation. My life needs a foundation. What was that foundation going to be? What was the rock in there that Christ was talking about? Well, obviously, he was talking about himself. And it just hit me, and it clicked at that moment that this isn't about me. This isn't about the Roman Catholic Church. This isn't about any church or any institution. This is about Jesus Christ. If he's the foundation, I've got to find out what he did. How is he my foundation? What things do I need to know about Jesus that can assure me that he is my foundation? And I started reading the Bible, and I started praying even more for God to reveal his truth to me, and resources started coming my way. Um, Richard introduced Brian earlier. Brian and I grew up. Um, we never really knew each other very well growing up because I was more friendly with Brian's brother. But when I had found out that Brian had left the Roman Catholic Church many years earlier, I had called him up one day and asked him about that uh, situation. And we spoke for a lengthy period of time and realized that uh, Brian belonged to a church that I had visited uh, a couple of weeks prior. And um, Brian had invited me to a Bible study. And through Bible study, uh, through prayer and resources that came my way, I started realizing who my Lord and Savior was. And I started realizing that there is nothing at all that I could do to save myself, to make up for the things that, that I did wrong. It would be a whole life of constant struggle, of making up for things, of, of trying to do what I couldn't, what Jesus did. And that was to, to, to be a substitute for me. And I could never be a substitute for him, myself, or anybody else. And that other verses started appearing before me as I'm reading them. And, and it is as if the Lord just opened my eyes to His truth. And no longer was the Bible something that was just kept in a closet. It was a living, breathing Word. 
that every time I read it was like a river flowing. It was just incredible how I could spend ten minutes on one verse and, and just see how God is speaking to us. You know, He says to us that you know, it is according to election that election might stand not of works, but of Him that calleth. Well, who calleth? It is God that calleth. It is not of works. It is not of anything that I can do. It is God's mercy. For it is grace that I have been saved. These are the things I've never known before. I never knew what grace was. I never knew what it meant to be saved. I never knew what it meant to be born again. To be born again to me was a concept that was so out there. If anybody ever brought that concept to me, I would think, well, a born-again Christian, well, isn't that a cult? Isn't that something that you belong to and now you can't have birthday parties, you can't have this, you can't have that? No, I learned that Jesus Christ said you must be born again doesn't mean that you must join a cult. You must be uh, somebody that you're not. It means that you must be regenerated. Your heart must be regenerated. And that's what happened. And um, I'd like to say that I baptized my first daughter in a Catholic church in January of uh, 2001. And um, it was about two weeks later that I had formally left the Catholic church when the Lord opened my eyes just as quickly as He did Saul on the road to Damascus. It was that quick, and I thank him for every day. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that you bring out the point that it's the person that we believe on, the person of Christ Jesus. I remember my own life. It was like the text of Philippians 3.10 just lit up from the page mm-hmm. that I may know him, that I may, may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I had this desire to know Christ Jesus. And my desire was like Paul says that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is of faith of Christ Jesus this desire to know Christ and to be found in him to be clothed with his righteousness and to be washed clean in his blood and as you say so well Richard and Brian said beforehand it is by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and all glory to God I'd like to read to both of you now and get your response because we are or you are emphasizing Christ Jesus and personal faith in him now faith in the Catholic Church is spoken of but it's a different type of faith it's a church faith I'd like to read some quotations from the Catholic Church for example paragraph 169 of the New Catechism salvation comes from God alone but because we receive the life of faith through the church she is our mother that's the whole concept of Holy Mother Church that we we as Catholics believe that faith came through our Holy Mother it becomes more emphatic in paragraph 181 where the Catholic Church says officially believing is an ecclesial act the church's faith precedes engenders supports and nourishes our faith the mother is the church is the mother of all believers no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother this idea of of the mother church engendering giving life to your faith and that you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother could you comment on that Brian what are you what is your response to statements like that well, I think, you know, as, as coming, uh, coming to faith and trying to um, really get an understanding of what is, what is the church, uh, what does the Bible um, tell us about the church that Jesus Christ established? Is it, this, you know, is it an institution um, that, um, that Rome claims it is and that, and that has uh, uh, been given the keys and, and has this authority um, you know, uh, does, does the, the, do the scriptures um, uh, tell us that? Does the history of the church tell us that? So th- that was definitely a, a process for me, is to really understand what the church is. Um, and, and over time, it, you know, it, it certainly has become clearer to me um, that the church is made up of the body of believers. Um, there, there is, you know, structure uh, to the church that Christ set up. Um, the epistles um, tell us that, but the church is never to lord over us, and salvation doesn't come through an institution of men. 
uh, and uh, salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the scriptures don't tell us that where uh, you, you're saved by being in church, you're saved by being in Christ. And you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So as far as the relationship of how a man is, is um, made righteous before a holy God is between that holy God and, and that man. I mean, Romans 5.1 um, speaks it so clearly. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith and justification, not guilty, a declaration, a legal declaration by God that we're saved through faith, we have peace. We have a shalom and everlasting peace with God through our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Um, through we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So the relationship between a man and holy God and that peace, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're all looking for. How can I have peace with Almighty God? How can I be made right with God? Am I able to do this on my own or, or, to, or, or part grace, uh, you know, infused with my cooperation and works and merit? And, all the, and if I don't gain enough merit, and then when I die, there'll be the treasury of merit from Mary and the saints and excess merit, merit and getting... I mean, you go through this whole, you know, um, uh, um, uh, uh, a circle of beliefs and, and trying to climb this ladder. And God's Word is so clear that we've been declared not guilty. We've been... Peace has been made through faith, you know, in Jesus Christ. And it's a one-to-one relationship through Christ in our lives. He reconciles us. And then the church, as now we know it, is something that we belong to okay, as believers in Jesus Christ. So the whole concept of how I'm saved and how I'm made right before God and that this institution which now dispenses grace from God and now tells you whether you're saved, not saved, you have to do this, you have to do that. If you break this ordinance or doctrine, we, we have the power to separate you. You find through the scriptures that that is something that is absolutely, you know, uh, uh, false. Yeah, I, I think that you make some great points there. And what I like especially is that you show that it's not the institution that saves mm-hmm. us. Uh, I remember a text that really spoke to me really strongly. Uh, having been part of the hierarchy, you know, the structure coming down from the Pope, the Cardinals, the Archbishops, the Bishops, the Monsignori, the Canons, and the Parish Priests, of which I was one. Uh, and then I read in the Scripture, Christ says to the Apostles, One is your Lord and Master, and ye are all brethren. That there was, they were all one. They were all brothers. And even with pastors and elders in the church, they have more responsibility to teach Mm. and we respect them in their teaching offices but they are brothers in the Lord they are not Mm. there's no hierarchy and there's no system that saves it's a person and we give glory to him but I would like to take the point you were talking about and bring it over to Rich here you were talking about a process uh, coming through the church and I'd like to put this to Rich and get your reply Quoting from the Catechism where it says, which in paragraph 1129, that there is sacramental grace coming through the sacraments. I want to get your response to this. Paragraph 1129, the Church, as the Catholic Church, affirms that for believers the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. Sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit and proper to each sacrament. What do you think of sacraments being necessary for salvation and the identification of the power that comes through them as being the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Um, I'd say for the most part, um, as a child going through sacraments, of course, when we're baptized, it's not something that we do remember. Um, communion, confirmation, these, the whole concept of those, um, I guess depending on what church you belong to and what you were taught, um, it was the church dispensing grace, um, taking it upon themselves to dispense God's grace. I always look at confirmation and I say to myself, well, you know, we have a set date 
each year where we're, the Catholic Church would confirm a set amount of children um, and they were basically setting an appointment for the Holy Spirit to come and enter into the lives of these children and change them uh, that way and uh, you know ignorant as I was to that it sounded great uh, but now when I look back at that and I say to myself well how can we as creatures created by an all holy God set an appointment of when he's going to dispense his grace to us or that grace should be dispensed through another person the whole concept was very alien to me at the time and you know during my search um, when I did rededicate myself to the Catholic Church this is one of the things that bothered me was I good enough what was the difference between what the Catholic Church taught as venial and mortal sins how could I be cleansed from these and what would be left and, and you know how much more work would I have to do to get rid of those things um, until I realized that the concept of sin in God's sight that sin is sin the Bible doesn't break it down into venial, mortal, um, major sins, minor sins. Sin is sin. And that we all fall short of the glory of God. And that we are all sinners. Each and every creature that was created by God is born a sinner, inherited through Adam. And when I started grasping this concept and searching even further my whole concept now of the sacraments started fading because I said to myself with the sacraments then how could they save me if I being a sinner is go are going to stand before an all-holy God and, and, and bring these sacraments to him well if, they, if, if I had to keep going through this method on earth well how as a dead human being now am I going to go through this method um, and of course there is always purgatory which we were taught uh, which I didn't have much of a concept of. But when does it end? You know, God gave us a book so that we could know who he is, the plans he has for us, how to get close to him. And this is a concept that started growing um, ever so much more as I was searching. And when I opened up the book um, and I read Romans chapter 3, and verse 21 but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God which is by faith in Jesus Christ this is the gospel message for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus nowhere in scripture could I ever find the words you are saved by doing these things you are saved through the Roman Catholic Church it's alien to the scriptures. The scriptures only ever teach Jesus Christ. Um, and and yeah, you know, in actual fact, it says not of works, lest anyone yeah. should boast. And, well, uh, yes, exactly. And uh, so the most evident type of works in the Catholic Church are religious rituals works. And it says not of works, where by grace are you saved through faith. That's right. If that it is, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, right. not of works, lest anyone should boast. If by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be by works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. And, you know, you go back a couple of verses before that, the answer is here in Scripture. And I, I try to, to, to bring this to people in the most loving way that I can. Um, I love Roman Catholic people. My whole life was lived with Roman Catholic people, relatives, loved ones, friends. And this Bible, this book, this gift from God is what I desire to bring to them now, not in an effort to show them that they're wrong, but in an effort to show them the truth. Because if I did not do that, that would be hateful. And when the Lord puts it simply, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, that is the gospel in simple terms. And it does not say that if thou confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and make communion and make confirmation and pray to saints and pray to Mary, it says if thou shalt confess thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Yes, and Christ himself said this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. When the Jews asked him, what must we do that we may do the work of God? 
the Jews were like good Catholics, they wanted to know what work they should do. Christ said, this is the work of God. It's God's work that you believe. So he, he brought the commandment back on the individual. And that's basically our heart today is to share with you our desire that you would see Christ Jesus in all his glory. The glory of his mm. finished work. The glory of his perfect sacrifice. The glory of eternal life that is promised in him. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Who does not want to have eternal life? You have it now and it goes into all eternity. You have peace with God. The joy unspeakable and full of glory that the Apostle Peter speaks about and the, the, the just the contentment of knowing that you are at home in Christ Jesus Amen. and that you want to share his love with others and that's our heart and that's the desire that we have I would like if you could say something more on that line you know and what you would say to your precious Catholic friend Brian yeah. um, when um, when you were just speaking I mean one of the scriptures that jumped out at me um, is you want to tell someone that you know um, that they're sick, and you know how do you do that in a loving in a loving way when someone doesn't think they're sick, and, and you don't want to you know come off in some type of you know arrogant way or or it might be interpreted that way because you basically what you're saying to someone is I have something that you don't, but what they need to understand is that it, it is not something that I earned it is not something because I'm a, a good person you're, you're trying to convey to them the mercy of God and that they have to understand that they're not a good person they've got to understand the bad news just let me <laughs> put in something here personally because that really sparked something in me uh, at the very end where I really think that I understood that you're saved by grace through faith and the authority of the Bible alone and I thought that I had it all down right. I was really wanting to know who I am and I couldn't talk to the other priests or the nuns or anything because they didn't want to talk about this and I went into my own office just kind of counsel with myself across the, the desk you know and I was sitting where the visitor sits and like looking up to my own empty chair and my advice to myself was read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 you being dead in <laughs> that's trans- what I was going to read as you, you. Dead in <laughs> you were dead in your transgressions and sins yes. in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and then going down to verse 4 but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved a dead man can't raise himself yeah but I think we've got to emphasize that today that God only saves sinners Christ Jesus said he came into the world to save sinners and if you do not recognize you're a sinner you cannot be saved because that's the only qualification you have to trust as a sinner that Christ Jesus has taken your sin and uh, as you trust on him he gives you his righteousness now that is the difficult part to say this in love but we've got to say it in love that um, unless you realize and you may say well I've been a good parent I've brought up my children God is all perfect have you ever committed a white lie is sin of a white lie you, you, you know it's just a little exaggeration or a little gossip or a little you know a little slander because any sin is serious before God I think that's that's the, the main uh, the main I guess problem that we uh, uh, that we have or people have is that they feel like well yeah I'm a sinner I think most you know Roman Catholics you know are going to admit yeah well I sin but I'm not that bad and that's the thing that, and I'm saying, yes, you are. Yes, I am. I am that bad. We cannot stand before an all-holy God 
in any of our sin. If we could, Jesus Christ did not need to come and die and pay our debt on the cross of Calvary. We could have done it ourselves. We, the scriptures tell us we were dead in our transgressions. We were separated from God because of our sin and there is no way we could make that right. That's why, out of God, the Father's mercy and His love, He sent His, sin, he sent his Son to the cross. If Jesus Christ didn't have to go to the cross to die for our sins, then that was the most horrific offense that God the Father could have committed was to send his son to the cross for something that wasn't necessary. If man can be good enough on his own to gain favor with God and God the Father sent his son to the cross, what a horrible thing that would have been. But the truth is he had to to reconcile sinners like us to himself he had to pay the greatest sacrifice there was, and that was by sending his son to the cross to die in our place. What a wonderful, merciful, beautiful, forgiving God yes. we have. Amen. Could you comment on this, Rich, and if I put to you the, the uh, scripture quote from Second Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That seems to typify or explain a, a transfer. Can you explain what the good news is there? Yeah, um, before I do that, I just wanted to touch on one thing I think is very important. that We always um, are able to find the answers in Scripture. If we search, they are there. And what Brian was just speaking about, I think it's very important to know that, because I had spoken earlier about um, venial sin and mortal sin and how the sin is sin in God's eyes, um, if we do go back to the book of Romans, chapter 1, God is uh, very clear on where he puts sin before him. And in verse 29, um, starting at verse 29, chapter 1, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, and I can keep going on and on, but if you notice there, murder, and whispers and envy, all in the same sentence. In other words, sin is sin before God, an all-perfect and holy God. And in order for us to stand before Him, we have to be cleansed of that sin, which takes me now into the answer. Um, we have no righteousness. All our righteousness, uh, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. Um, so how can we stand before an all-holy God? Um, this is a question that um, I've asked myself many times uh, before. Um, and never really knew how if it, if it was through the sacraments if it was through confession if it was through doing good things well um, like Brian had said earlier if we could make our way by doing these things then that would be adding to what Jesus Christ did and that would not make Jesus Christ a perfect savior in order to be a perfect savior you'd have to be a perfect sinless person why would he need help from that of which he created. Can we, as the created beings, add anything to our own salvation from the Creator? And that answer is, is definitely no. We have to stand before an almighty God, empty. And the only thing that we could declare is a perfectness, a perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness is Jesus Christ. And that's all that we can declare. And if we bring anything else with us, that we don't deserve to be before Him. We only deserve to be before an all-holy God with Jesus Christ covered and blanketed in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. His perfectness. If I can add one thing, and this is an important, I think, thing that comes up a lot about good works. A lot of people will say, well, where do good works fit in uh, to this? You know, are you saying that you don't have to be good? You can just, you know, trust in Christ, come to faith in you know, Christ, and then just live a life... You know, uh, uh, you know, in, in opposition uh, to the way God has instructed us to live, and, and the answer to that, of course, is emphatically no. And good works do have an important part in the Christian's life, but good works are an uh, are an outpouring of one who is saved uh, uh, by grace through faith, and those are the fruits of the Spirit that uh, that come in the in the believer's life, and those things are important. But what's important to understand is, is that those good works could never save you. They're important, and the Lord has given us instruction in how to live, 
and how to live as a Christian and how to love our fellow man and how to uh, love our brothers and sisters in Christ and to do uh, good things and that's absolutely important. But, but don't mistake that with that you can be good enough and that you can earn your way to salvation. That you can never do. Now God, God um, made it clear that um, he has separated himself from man in that, in, in that office. I mean, when we go on further and read Ephesians, um, uh, go on to verses 8 through 10, um, the Lord tells us that it is grace Grace, His grace that we have been saved through faith. And he, this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God mm-hmm. now. Gifts are not to be earned. Gifts are to be given. A gift is to be received by God, not to be earned. That is why God calls it a gift. And the reason why He says that it is not of yourselves, if you go on, not of works, lest any man should boast. God takes that pride and that boastfulness away from man so that the glory goes to him. It is his glory. It is his honor. He saved us. The works that Brian was talking about, if we go into uh, verse 10, those were works that were ordained for us, that we, we, would, we would be created in Jesus unto good works. We're created unto good works. Those works were ordained before us that as a believer, we would show the fruit of our belief by doing those things to show those good works, not to attain anything, but in our love, and obedience to Jesus Christ. Yeah, what I would like to deal with in the last um, about four or five minutes that we have is the fellowship, the fruits that we have where we have a deep fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit of what the Apostle John says in his first letter for this life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show it unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, was manifest unto us. And then he says, that ye also may have fellowship with us, for truly our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus, with his Son, Jesus Christ. The walking with God and knowing him in our daily life and knowing his love and communicating with him and sharing how he has blessed us, how he chastises us, and our walking with him this is most precious I remember last year when I was in Poland sharing so deeply with believers and they telling me how it is to sense the Lord's presence to see answer to prayer and I contrast that back to my Catholic days when I wanted to even talk about reading the scriptures to try and find the Lord and I was told we don't talk shop Uh, and I think that the joy of our Christian life is this knowing the Lord and wanting to talk about Him. The reason why I wanted to talk to two of you is that I know that you take great joy. Could you finish on that note, Brian, and say something about you know, how, what it is as a Christian to walk with the Lord and to, to know His love? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, when, when I look at creation, when I look at the, uh, the sun rising in the morning and the majesty... Uh, of that sun coming up over the ocean uh, when, I, when I look at the sky the stars and, and I think of this infinite all powerful almighty God who spoke and the universe leaped into existence and, uh, and how awesome he is and that this God who created everything created me he gave me physical life and he gave me spiritual life and thinking that he sent his only begotten son, he sent Jesus Christ as a way to reconcile our relationship with, with me, with insignificant me, and that he sent his, done, his son to die for me, and, I, and, and, to, and he saved me, and, and saved me completely. And thinking of this, this almighty God that I can have fellowship with the one who spoke and the universe leaped into existence, that I can know him and that he wants to know me and that he loves me and through that love that I now know him and that I can fellowship with him, that I can speak to him, come to him in prayer. He is the only one who can create. He is the only one who can save. Man constantly looks to exalt 
man. It's just our self-righteousness that came into our lives through sin. We love our sports heroes. We love our actors and actresses. And we also have propped up religious heroes, other created sinful people that have, that have, because we're all sinners, but we love to put them on pedestals. We love to adorn them in, in robes and in jewelry and look at them as something holy. Only God is holy. Only God can save you. And there is no one else to go to. And when you finally come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you finally come into the presence of, uh, of an all-holy God, which only Jesus Christ can bring you into that throne room, there is no room for any other. Yes. He becomes your he, all. He is, can you say in one minute something like this, what it is to know the love mm. of God? Rich? Um, my life has changed dramatically. Uh, the Lord has put so many resources into my life, one of them being Richard here. Uh, who three years ago answered an email of mine and, and, and has been a, a, a beautiful resource to me, a friend um, and, and a fellow Christian. But when I look at my wife, when I look at my two girls, and uh, when two months ago I stood on the altar of my church with the three of them, and I dedicated my two girls, three years old and nine months old, to God, to show Him my appreciation, to promise that I would bring my children up in a Christian home. These are the concepts I've never had in my life. And when I did that, and I knew where I was, I knew that the Lord was with me. Um, the changes that occurred in my life, uh, my family's lives, all, of, all the things that my fellowship with Brian, my fellowship with the members of my church, how I look at life every day, and, and the things that I could share with people. Yes. Uh, I know that the Lord is with me every day and I thank God for that. Praise God. And we'll end on that note. A final word to you is that God the All-Holy One has to be your Abba Father. The intimate, loving Abba Father God. The only way is that you obey the commandment. Trust on Him and know that eternal life. And join us as we say all praise, glory, worship and honor be to him. Amen, amen. and amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.bereanbeacon.org. Goodbye and God bless you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- 450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. 
For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.